The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Ask Your Lawyer show. I am Tyra Iqbal of Liberty Law Solicitors, and I will be your host this evening. Um, We're going to be discussing or looking into the legal world and current affairs. And today we actually have a very interesting topic to discuss, something that is currently dominating the media. Uh, We will be talking about knives, knife crime, offensive weapons, uh, and the law around them. So we're going to explain the laws and legislation relating to these offences. And I have two barristers in the studio with me today to assist me and explain to all of us the part of um, the law that relates to these matters. So um, we also have later on joining us a community activist. She will be calling in in the second part of the show. So do tune in and um Let's get started. So on mic three, I have with me Barrister Maria Carrascos, and um, she's a barrister at Church Court Chambers. She's also a Crown Court Judge and District Judge in the Magistrates Court too. And um, Maria, you undertake defence and prosecution cases. That's right, Tara. I do, I would say 50% prosecuting, 50% defending. Well, and you also train people in advocacy, I believe. I do. I've been doing it for a number of years, um, just training junior barristers, junior solicitors into um, getting them ready for the Crown Court uh, and the Magistrates Court and getting them on their feet and getting used to public speaking. Well, and what types of cases have you dealt with? Uh, A whole variety of cases, um, serious crime. Um, Last year I was involved in three murder trials um, and a, a lot of drug offences, a lot of violent crime, a lot of sexual offences, um, and as I stated, prosecuting and defending. Wow, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show tonight. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And um, on mic number four, we have another barrister from Church Court Chambers. We have Michelle Clark. Michelle, uh, you have over 30 years worth of experience. Yes, I do. Yes. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more about your experience? Well, uh, I've been practicing since 1988. Uh, I used to prosecute and defend, but I now majoritively defend. Uh, I do most of my cases either in the Crown Court or in the Court of Appeal. And I defend in all the most serious cases, including sexual offences, drugs-related, murder and serious violence. Wow. It's brilliant to have you on the show with us as well. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Um, Listeners, just to let you know, the link to our guest profiles can be accessed via the station's pages. And if you require the services of either of these excellent barristers, please do ask your solicitors to contact Church Court Chambers. um, And you're allowed to choose your own barrister so you can put in a request for these two excellent barristers. Um, So last but no means, um, my last final guest who I did briefly mentioned earlier, will be joining us in the second half of the show. Her name is Halima Ali, and she is a community activist inspiring social and political change through events, art and workshops. So we will be hearing from Halima Ali in the second half of the show. Um, So if we get started on a couple of questions now, we'll be talking about knife crime and offensive weapons and um, there's various laws that control the possession of weapons aren't there can you tell me what the main ones are 
I think perhaps if I start off, there are three principal areas that uh, directly uh, are to do with knife crime, and that is to do with uh, offensive weapons, that is to do with having a, a bladed article, and the use of the weapons. Now, uh, I'm not going to go into the uh, actual legislation itself, because that would sound too much like a law lecture and everybody would fall asleep in about two minutes. But uh, the important thing for people to remember is that if you are in a public place and you are carrying a knife, the chances are you are committing a criminal offence. Uh, what particular statute uh, you have offended will depend on the size of the knife, uh, how the knife was made, and also your intention in carrying the knife in the first place. So if that gets us off to basics, mm -hmm. but you can also commit way more serious offences to do with uh, murdering somebody or causing serious violence, you won't necessarily be charged just with having a knife. But if you are convicted of such a serious offence, it will be seen by the judge as an aggravating feature that you had an offensive weapon or some type of knife or something that was made into uh, an offensive weapon with you. And you will get a very much increased sentence because of that. Okay, so uh, just going off on what you said now, what would you class as an offensive weapon? So we've mentioned knives, but what else is an offensive weapon? It really depends that there are three categories of offensive weapon. Mm -hmm. uh, there are those that are made for use for causing injury to the person. Uh, I'm sorry to say the Latin, but that's what it's called. It's called per se. Mm -hmm. uh, and that means it actually is an offensive weapon. And to give you a few examples, things like big knives, rice flails, sword sticks, things that perhaps would be obvious to anybody uh, because of the nature of them, uh, that they are very serious implements. Uh, you then have articles that are adapted for use. For example, if you pick up a bottle, you deliberately smash the bottle so that it then has jagged edges and you then attack somebody with it that you're then said to have adapted it mm -hmm. uh, to become an offensive weapon. And there is also uh, an article whereby the person carrying it intends to use it for the purposes <clears throat> of causing injury to the person. Uh, and it's very important to remember that if you take a weapon out with you and for whatever reason you forget you have it with you, uh, you potentially are still in possession of it. And it then comes on to whether you have lawful authority or a reasonable excuse for having that weapon with you. Okay. Um, what what about a normal item? So let's just say if I was to carry a normal item like a wooden spoon, but I was holding it in a menacing manner, could that be classed as an offensive weapon? It could potentially. It's all to do with circumstance. Uh, if you go out, for example, and you're going to a, a, a cookery class, mm -hmm. then having a wooden spoon with you wouldn't cause you a problem because you had a reasonable excuse for having that with you. But you have gone out deliberately and the only thing you could put your hands on with the intention of going out to attack somebody was a wooden spoon, then it could be deemed to come into that category. Yes, as Michelle has said, it all depends on the circumstances of the case. Um, and your intentions. And if you went out holding a wooden spoon or any type of spoon, intending, for instance, to poke it in somebody's eye, that uh, potentially could be an offensive weapon. It's, it would be under the third category that Michelle has 
outlined uh, a weapon uh, that becomes offensive because it is intended for offensive purposes. Okay, and would you say that a knife is a naturally offensive weapon? Uh, under the legislation, um, a lot of knives are offensive weapons per se or offensive in law. Uh, for instance, flick knives, butterfly knives, daggers, they are all offensive um, per se or offensive in law. Um, and that it would cover a flick knife that perhaps has another purpose, such as a lighter would still be an offensive weapon per se. There are other knives that are not offensive per se, but they could become offensive um, because of their intention, the intention of the carrier. Uh, for instance, a lock knife. Okay, and does it matter at all about the size of these knives? If the blade is large or small, does that have an effect on whether or not it would be considered an offensive weapon? Well, it, the size of it uh, certainly would, and also under the legislation dealing specifically with bladed articles, that's the Criminal Justice Act 1988, um, which covers bladed articles or articles with a sharp point. If, you're, um, if you have a folding knife, for example, and if the blade is more than three inches, uh, that could be classified as a bladed article and be caught by that section of the Act. But if it is less than three inches, uh, the argument would then arise that it's not captured by this part of the Act, so it's not an offence under this provision. Okay, and unless you have a lawful reason to be carrying such a, a weapon... Um... Yes, absolutely. There are defences under uh, the offensive weapons legislation and also the bladed article legislation. If you have a good reason for carrying the bladed article mm -hmm. or if you have a reasonable excuse for carrying the offensive weapon, then you have a defence in law that you can run at trial. Okay. And in terms of knives specifically, what um, laws relate just to knives? Well, as I've stated, the Criminal Justice Act 1988, it's section 139, and that deals specifically with having a bladed article or an article with a sharp point in a public place, but it also covers uh, offences of carrying those items on school premises, um, that's section 139A, or threatening in a public place, um, threatening with that item, that bladed article, that's also a criminal offence captured by this uh, provision. Okay. And in terms of the public, I mean, um, you can buy knives from retailers and shops. So what rules must shops and retailers follow when selling knives? Well, shops that sell knives have to be very careful because in the current climate in particular, uh, I think you'll find that both the police and trading standards are going to be uh, operating spot checks to check that any shopkeeper who is selling knives is not selling them to anybody under the age of 18. Okay. That's a, an extremely important uh, provision uh, over the age of 16, between the ages of 16 and 18. And it's obviously very difficult for shopkeepers because, as we all know, uh, a teenager can look many years older than they are. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are obviously recommendations for shopkeepers to try and help themselves in terms of trying to get proper uh, labelling on knives so that even if they have new staff or temporary staff on the premises, they know what protocol has to be followed in keeping themselves safe in terms of not offending the legislation. Uh, also, it is recommended that some shopkeepers, if they can, keep a refusals book 
uh, which means that if people come in to try to buy knives, the uh, shopkeeper or the serving staff can keep a description of that person, the procedure they went through. And then if somebody does slip through the net uh, and they are taken to task by trading standards or the police, they can show the protocol that they try to follow to ensure they don't sell to the wrong uh, type of person. Okay. Interesting. Um, but Tara, obviously, if you went along to your local John Lewis, Marks and Spencers, and you bought yourself a kitchen knife, mm-hmm. uh, you wouldn't be committing any offence. You could take that knife home with you. You wouldn't be committing any offence because you'd have a good reason for having it. But there have been cases, um, sadly, where people have forgotten that the knife is on them. Yeah. Uh, for days or months, they could put it in the glove compartment of their car, perhaps to keep it away from their children or, or other people in the car, and then forget about it. And if they were then arrested and their car was searched and the knife was found, they would then have to raise um, the argument that I, I had a good reason for it, I bought it legitimately, and I simply forgot about it. And they'd have to see what would happen uh, in terms of being charged or not. And if they don't have any receipts at hand with them, exactly. it could be quite exactly. difficult. And if they're arrested or stopped in suspicious circumstances, then obviously um, that sort of argument about buying it for their chopping up their carrots is not really going to um, be a strong argument at all. And have you have you both dealt with many cases where there have been situations like that, where people have just simply forgotten that they've... Yes, yes, I have. And in fact, the law says that forgetfulness alone is not a defence. But if it's coupled with another explanation, for instance... I did forget about it, but I had legitimately purchased it from John Lewis. That could amount to a lawful defence. It all depends on the circumstances of the case. Of the case. Other shops are available. <laughs> Sorry, other shops are available. Other shops are available. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. <laughs> no, that's true. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> um, how about if I am just carrying a knife, but I don't bring it out or show it in public? I'm just carrying it with me. What about that? Is that still an offence? If you're in your own home, uh, you're not committing an offence. Mm-hmm. Uh, the legislation is to do with a public place, but that doesn't necessarily mean you have mm-hmm. to be in your local park. It is an area to where the public have access. Okay. So it's not... you completely cut and dry. For example, if you were in a leisure centre, you couldn't say, well, uh, I'm allowed to be here and it's the same as my house. It's not. But within your own home, it it perhaps goes without saying, of course, we're allowed to use knives because it's common practice. People use them in their kitchens all the time. Mm -hmm. And obviously, uh, if you have uh, religious reasons for carrying a knife, uh, that kind of thing is excused as well. But you have to be careful because there are uh, three different types of legislation under which the police potentially can stop and search you on the street. Okay. There's the uh, the one that most people know about, which is under the Police and Criminal Evidence Act, which is reasonable grounds to suspect that someone is carrying a weapon or that, that something that could be used to commit a crime. That's the one most people have probably heard of. But also uh, there is the uh, 1994 Criminal Justice and Public Order Act, whereby the police can announce a designated area and officers can search anyone without reasonable grounds. Uh, For example, if serious violence has just taken place or they think may take place, then an example of uh, something that's used every year now is the Notting Hill Carnival, uh, 
Wow. Uh, and if you go within that area, you can be stopped and searched and they don't have to have a reason mm. to do it. It's because you're within the designated area. And then, of course, in really extreme uh, circumstances, under the Terrorism Act, uh, if the police have reasonable suspicion that an act of terrorism will happen, uh, they can stop and search you. So don't be fooled into thinking there's only one way that the police can ask what you've got on you. Mm, and that includes if it's in your in your bag or your rucksack. It doesn't matter if um, it's inside or if you're carrying it outside. You could still get stopped and searched and you could still be charged with one of these offences. Without a reasonable excuse. Reasonable that, excuse or good reason, yes. Reason. Well, that is quite insightful. Thank you for that. Um, so we briefly spoke about small folding blades earlier. Can we talk about that a bit more? So in terms of the small pocket knives or folding blades, even in your own home, are you allowed to possess one of those articles? Yes, you are within your own home. That's absolutely fine. And in a public place, if the small folding knife has a blade of less than three inches, it cannot be captured by the um, provisions of the Criminal Justice Act, which are specifically for bladed articles. But of course, if you are carrying it in a public place uh, and you have the intention to use it offensively, then you could be captured under the offensive weapon legislation, um, uh, carrying an, uh, an offensive weapon intending to cause serious injury with it. Okay. And are there any defences available if I am caught carrying a knife? in a public place? It really depends on the reason that you've got it on you. Mm -hmm. um, if, for example, um, I've done a case to do with uh, somebody who'd taken uh, clothes uh, for a service wash, had the clothes referred to them, they'd been helping clear up someone else's flat, separated from that service wash <coughs> was a lock knife, which offends the legislation. But this gentleman hadn't known it was there when it was handed in and he was trying to return it to the flat oh. uh, and that the jury found was a reasonable excuse. Mm. So it really depends, you know, people who perhaps who go fishing or you know, that kind of thing. Uh, people who work on farms might need to cut baling twine. Mm -hmm. People who work in a butcher's sometimes might need to take their knives or chefs. All mm. legitimate uses. It's just people have got to use common sense. What about if I wanted to carry a knife for my protection? So if I felt like I needed to protect myself and I wanted to carry a knife, not to, say, use it, but maybe just to feel a bit more secure, safe, that I've got this knife with me, is that a defence? Again, I think it depends on the circumstances of the case. If you are carrying a knife... Um, expecting to be attacked because, for instance, you were attacked the day before mm -hmm. and you are in fear of an imminent attack, then arguably you could run that as a defence at trial. But if you are carrying a knife because you think you may in the future get attacked, but it's not an, a, a fear of an imminent attack, the law will not protect you. Okay, and I'll so give you some examples. Yeah. For example, a taxi driver can't have a knife um, in his vehicle um, 
in case an aggressive passenger gets in, because mm. that's not a risk of a real imminent attack. Um, similarly, a pizza delivery boy couldn't carry a knife around with him in case somebody robbed him, because that is not a real risk of an imminent attack. Um, there has to be a risk of an imminent, imminent attack. And of course, all the circumstances uh, in your case would have to be looked at. Everything depends on the circumstances of the case. Okay, so I think the key word here really is it being an imminent. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And the law doesn't want to um, protect people who are looking for attacks. And if you create the risk yourself, because you are hanging around with the wrong people mm -hmm. and behaving violently and aggressively yourself, and you're then attacked, uh, and the next day you carry a knife around with you for that purpose, again, you're going to struggle to rely on this as a defence in law because you are responsible for the attack in the first place. You also have to be very careful because um, imminent is going to be analysed by the courts mm -hmm. and it will not just look at the fact that you may have had a threat via Facebook or text or uh, indirectly the day before. It will look at whether you needed to go out that day uh, and how reasonable your actions were and what else you could have done. So it, 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 okay, if so there's any lag of time, mm -hmm. you're going to struggle uh, more and more uh, the more it recedes from the threat. So let's say um, I received a message in the evening saying, you know, you better watch out. I'm going to come and get you tomorrow. I'm going to attack you. Um, I've you know, I want to kill you, etc, etc. And the following day, I need to go out, but I feel very unsafe. So I carry a knife with me. Obviously, I, I know that's not imminent. But is is that not a good enough defense maybe to be carrying such a weapon? I, I think, again, you have to look at all of the circumstances of your case. Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, what did you do upon receiving that threat? Did you phone the police? What else did you do to protect yourself? Mm -hmm. uh, were you out late at night carrying the knife? These are all factors that the court is going to be looking at. Uh, it's not good public policy for people to be walking around with knives because mm -hmm. they fear an attack. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the court will be looking to see what you did. Uh, did you uh, Were you responsible for this uh, threat on yourself? Did you do something else to try and stop it? And as I've stated, did you contact the police? Did you remain indoors? All those factors. It's not, very, it's not a black and white situation. It all depends on the individual scenario. Yeah. Okay. Do you feel like it might be uh, a bit different in terms of male and female defendants? So if, if someone was to, to be seen or to be found carrying a knife, do you feel like the law applies slightly differently if it was a female or if it was a male? Do you think that has any influence on? Um, well, from my own experience, I have um, had cases uh, with female uh, defendants uh, and also cases with male defendants. But I think statistically um, there are, they are male, def male offenders who are caught uh, more mm -hmm. uh, being in possession of knives. Uh, that's the, those are the current statistics. It's more males. I don't know if that's because the police are stopping more males or if it's more males who are committing these type of offences. I suspect a combination of both. I think on a slightly slightly different topic, uh, the other thing that um, females have to look out for is when they are asked by males to look after a knife for mm. them. 
Uh, and sometimes it's thought, well, it's not my knife. Uh, I, I don't want to do anything with it. I'm just yeah. looking after it for my friend and then I'll give it back to him. You equally can be committing a criminal mm. offence. Yeah. And it's not an absolute defence to say, well, it wasn't my knife in the first place. And I said I'd hold it for five minutes. If you're in possession of it, you're in possession of it. Mm. And that's a really good point, actually, because you could also be in possession of it, even if you're not physically holding it. If you are in a group with others who are holding and using and threatening um, with knives, then you could also be responsible for that behaviour, even though you're not doing it yourself. If you're there intending for that to take place and you're supporting them and encouraging them and assisting them, you could also be guilty. And a lot of people don't realise that. They think if they're not physically touching it, Mm -hmm. then the law cannot touch them. But that's not the case. So that's not the case at all? Yes, no. Wow, okay. And um, what about sentences for carrying knives? Well, um, the law is trying to deal with the increase in knife crime by increasing the sentences or or recommending that the courts impose higher sentences. The maximum sentence for being, for instance, in possession of an offensive weapon or a bladed article is four years. But there are new guidelines which came out on the 1st of June of last year, which every court must follow if they're dealing with a sentence after that date. So every court must follow these guidelines unless it will be contrary to the interests of justice. Um, so the majority of the courts, and I, I include myself in that when I sit as a judge, we have to follow these guidelines. Um, and when you look at the guidelines, you have to balance aggravating features which make the case more serious, and you have to balance mitigating features which make it less serious. And I should also point out, if I've got time, that if you are caught um, on a second occasion carrying a knife, there is a minimum prison sentence that the court must follow unless it will be unjust to do so. Okay, wow. And we will continue this discussion after the break, guys. So please stay tuned in and join us again after the break. You're listening to an Inspire FM podcast, making available our popular programmes from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM. Hello, good evening and welcome back to the second half of the Ask Your Lawyer show. I am Tyra Iqbal from Liberty Law Solicitors and with me in the studio is... Maria and Michelle, both barristers from Church Court Chambers. Um, So just before the break, if you're tuning in now, we were discussing knives, offensive weapons, defences to carrying an offensive weapon, and also potential sentences that you could get if you are caught with an offensive weapon. Um, So if we just briefly speak to our lovely guests again and just touch up roughly sum up a little bit about what we discussed before the break so we were looking at sentence and um i was explaining that there's a new guideline what's called a sentencing guideline that the court uh, should follow when imposing sentence mm-hmm. uh, and um the, the courts are getting more tough on this because the offenses are becoming more frequent we are well, certainly in London, it, having a knife crime epidemic, I think it's on a daily basis that you hear of knife crime. So the courts are tough on it mm-hmm. for the reason that they want to send out the message that knife crime is not going to be tolerated. But um, 
it is a long prison sentence enough to solve the problem? I, I'm sorry to say I don't think it is. I think there are other causes and deep-seated issues which have to be tackled first before we can ever hope to solve the problem. I think for some people, even if there's the threat or, and risk of a heavy prison sentence hanging over them, some people will still go out there and carry a knife and be in possession of that knife, irrespective of the sentence. Yes, I, I represented a 16-year-old um, on New Year's Eve who'd been found with a 21-centimetre knife on him. Mm-hmm. And um, he's going to be looking at custody, even though he's 16. Mm. And I don't think it had crossed his mind. Uh, It is very young. Mm. But I don't think, um, sadly, in the people that I represent who go out with knives, they think of the consequences. They think of the moment in terms of whatever it is they're involved in. It's their own peer group. It's their own pressures. Mm -hmm. They don't look at the bigger picture in terms of sentence. And they don't pass it amongst each other. They don't cooperate with the police if they're victims. That there's a a huge social issue there that needs addressing. Yeah, I think there's definitely a problem with children being exposed to violence. And um, uh, alongside working at Liberty Law Solicitors, I tutor too. Mm. And some of the children that I tutor have actually spoken about other kids in schools bringing in knives. Mm. And like you said, there is an Mm. epidemic going on at the moment. What do you think, I mean, this is a bit of a tough question, but Mm. what do you think could be done to stop this or to deter kids from carrying these knives and to prevent this from, you know, happening? I think there are so many things that could be done which sadly are not being done and I think a lot of it relates to um, lack of government funding um, in terms of providing after-school activities for a lot of these youngsters so when they finish school they have something constructive to do they have somewhere constructive and positive to go to instead of roaming around the streets for a couple of hours Um, I recently read that uh, between 4 and 6 p.m. is now becoming quite prevalent in terms of uh, stabbings and knife crimes occurring. And a lot of people are suggesting that schools close later to try and stop this from happening because it's imposing a huge pressure on the NHS and on the A&E services who are getting an increase in um, patients coming in at that time. But I think because of cuts in government funding over years, That, that there's not the same the same social um, strengths there to help these youngsters, to give them something positive and to make them feel more motivated about their education and about themselves. Mm-hmm. And so they are going out there, getting into trouble, and then they're feeling pressure that they need to arm themselves because they are, in their mind, they feel in fear of other perhaps gangs or other postcode gangs that are out there. Um, yes, I, I think especially with children, they're easily influenced and they probably... May, maybe carry it as well for external validation. Absolutely, trying to act cool. And they're not, as Michelle has stated, thinking about the consequences of their actions and getting a criminal record at such a young age is going to jeopardise their future completely. Can I just say as a parent, I share the fear of all parents out there. My 16-year-old was threatened with a knife on New Year's Eve in a taxi queue by adults. Oh uh, and yet he was stood there with his friends waiting for a taxi mm. to go to a party. So anybody anywhere can come across knives. There's got to be massive education. Mm. I would suggest right from primary school as to the consequences of sticking a knife into somebody. Mm. 
So you think it's it's good if we reach children at an yes. early stage and yes, absolutely. Age, so. I, I think it does. It starts from education level, and I think schools have got to start emphasising this now from a very young age. Um, otherwise, it's just sadly going to be getting worse and worse. I think. Okay. And I think also I have to say as a parent as well, I think we all have a responsibility. And I think because of maybe modern family life and families not being uh, maybe changing in, in their in their format, I don't think a lot of children are having dinner with their families anymore, for example. They're not having that um, support network at home. And so they are out and about in the evenings um, up to no good because they haven't got the strengths and, and, and the support at home, which they should really have. And do you feel like children are being exposed to what within in terms of the rise of social media as well, for example? Do you think that these things are also influencing children and helping them? I know before the show started, we briefly spoke about drill music as well. Mm. So in terms of the media and music, do you think that that maybe has an effect on? I think drill music, it's a difficult area, actually. Mm. I think some very vulnerable children who lack confidence and who lack um, a sense of belonging, either at home or at school, they may get influenced by social media, not just drill music, but social media. They may they may um, feel a desire to belong to someone or something, and if mm-hmm. that means carrying a knife, that's what they, they that's what they do. But on the other hand, I think a lot of drill music is it's it's legitimate rap music, and and some of it is performed by people who are hugely talented, actually. Yeah. So it's I think it's a misconception for um, the powers that be to say that drill music is causing knife crime and that it should be stopped. I'm not sure if that's the case, actually. Mm-hmm. I think you've also got to worry about. You spend from the age of four or five many, many hours killing people on screen. It can desensitise you. And that's what I mean about the consequences of sticking a knife into somebody, that it's not appreciated in the same way. And if it's suggested that that's your initiation entry to a gang and you stick a knife into somebody's leg and you cut the artery and they Mm -hmm. die, you, you might not have foreseen that in any way shape or form mm, because you've just become desensitized exactly to it. yeah okay um well i've just been informed that we have our third guest speaker on the line this is halima halima ali she's a community activist inspiring social and political change through events art and workshops uh, Halima has taught in a pupil referral unit. She's helped run several mentoring programs with the Princess Trust Mosaic. She is a mentor at Luton Sixth Form College, vice chair of Bedfordshire Police Scrutiny Panel and a board member of Uprising Leadership Programme. And Halima will be discussing her view on knife crime and also a project called 22 Seconds to Murder, which is in memory of knife crime victims. So hello, Halima. Welcome to the Ask Your Lawyer show. Hi, how are you? Fine, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, So Halima, could you tell me a little bit more about this project that you're involved in? Yeah, so um, it's called uh, 22 Seconds to Murder, Mm -hmm. um, and that's in memory of Azan Kaleem, so he was a young boy in Luton, um, 18 years old, and sadly he was stabbed to death last year. Um, his attack was actually recorded on CCTV, and it took place over the space of 22 seconds. Um, and when I spoke to his mother, we thought that was quite a profound, you know, a very profound moment to think that in the space of 22 seconds, a young life could be lost so easily. So we are doing um, an event in in memory of him, but also in memory of other knife crime victims as well. Um, and it's quite a holistic event. So there's going to be artwork, 
Um, there's also performances, so like rapping, spoken word, um, as well as a panel discussion. And at the end of the event, there's also going to be a demonstration um, by some martial arts instructors. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll be showing us um, a self-defense technique on how to protect yourself, essentially, against knife crime um, and giving sort of anger management techniques as well. Wow, that's really good. And what inspired you to start this project? Um, so, you know, I'd been hearing the news, you know, um, of knife crime growing and being a, a big issue, especially in Luton. Um, and it seemed, you know, these kind of phrases like, you know, it's a crisis and so on had been thrown around. And when I heard about Azan's story, um, you know, it really struck because, you know, seeing such young lives being lost um, and then, you know, initially when I wanted to do something small, um, the police had said to me that because it was an ongoing criminal investigation, to kind of wait it out a little bit um, and get in touch with the victim's family, which of course they couldn't provide their information. Um, so I had to somehow find them myself. And one day, um, by God's grace, I guess, um, I was uh, doing an event on um, an exhibition on human rights. Mm-hmm. And a lady just walked in, she saw the uh, project, you know, the exhibition I was doing, and she asked me, can you do something on knife crime? Um, and I tried to explain to her, yeah, that's my, hopefully my next project, but I need to get in touch with the victim's families. And she said, I'm Azeen, Azan Kaleem's mother. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, subhanAllah, that was, you know, an amazing moment. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was quite, it was really surreal to think, like, I'd literally been making the world for this woman, basically, you know, hoping that I'd somehow meet her, and somehow she just... Randomly walks into my exhibition and says, "Can you do something for my son?" Um, so yeah, that's that's how it initially got started, and I've been consulting with her uh, throughout this project, um, and yeah, really hoping that we can make some kind of impact. Wow! So uh, this this event is taking place at Luton Sixth Form College, I believe. Yeah. yeah. So it will be next week, Monday, um, at Sixth Form College from twelve o'clock to six o'clock. Okay, and can anybody attend this event, or is it open just for students? Uh, is it open to the general public? Yeah, so it's open to the general public, um, and it's a free event as well. Okay. Um, we are hoping that you know young people from across Luton would attend. Um, so that is the target audience: is the you know high school students, college students, but also their parents. Mm-hmm. But again, it's open to everyone. So if you know, especially if it comes to like youth centres, um, anyone who's sort of helping young people within their line of work. Um, and just general community, because I think when it comes to issues like knife crime, it is, you know, a community responsibility that we need to mm-hmm. take to better, our, you know, the lives of our young people who are being affected by this. Definitely. So if we wanted to attend this event, we can we just turn up on the day or do we have to get a ticket in advance or anything like that? Um, so you can just turn up on the day if you want. Mm-hmm. Um, so the doors will be open from 12 o'clock. Okay. Um, but. I just wanted people to sign up so I could kind of gauge an estimate of numbers. So the link is 22stm.eventbrite.co.uk and you can follow, um, you know, the updates on social media um, at contact Halima. So my name is spelled H-A-L-E-E-M-A or write hashtag 22 seconds to murder. Either of those three avenues, you should be able to find information about the event. Okay, great. And, um, how could we get involved in maybe further projects that you deal with or plan to do? 
Um, so firstly, with this project, uh, there's a social media campaign going alongside it. Mm-hmm. So as long as uh, on top of the event, um, what we're doing is asking the public um, to answer the question, if they had, if you had 22 seconds to live, what would you do? Um, so we're getting people to either post in a video or write a short statement on their social media, add the hashtag, 20, uh, hashtag 22 seconds to murder. Um, and there's a little challenge if you can make the video 22 seconds long as well. Um, but apart from that, with future projects such as, you know, carrying this forward possibly in schools, um, you know, if, if anyone knows of any organizations that are willing to fund this, that would be great. Mm-hmm. But also just, you know, following it on social media on um, at Contact Halima. So hopefully you can find out more information there. Wow. Okay. Um, thank you for that. And I just wanted to ask you, because we were briefly speaking about children in schools and Mm. they're being exposed to violence and knives at an early age and I know that you've taught so I want your opinion on what you think maybe schools could do or if they are doing enough or if they could potentially do more to maybe deter their students from carrying knives and offensive weapons and to prevent this from happening what do you think? Um, so I think that, you know, there's a few different issues as to why they're carrying um, and things that schools could do as well. Mm-hmm. So if you actually look at some of the reasons why students carry, um, they'll say things like, you know, it's for protection. Um, so it's not always that they're actually going out with the intention of actually hurting someone. They feel that need to protect themselves. But, you know, if you ask them questions like, you know, why are you not doing martial arts, for example, it's, you know, oh, miss, I can't afford it. So it could mm-hmm. be whether, you know, schools can kind of, um, give awareness as to the dangers of knife crime. So as someone mentioned about, you know, cutting one artery could, you know, damage someone's life. Um, but also if they could implement some kind of self-defense lessons in their, in their school um, and do those kind of things from a very young age um, to show the dangers, but also if these kids are feeling scared for whatever reason, that they have avenues um, to kind of, you know, whether it's martial arts, to, to feel safe essentially. Okay, and um, we spoke about stop and search earlier as well. Do you think that perhaps maybe schools could stop and search their students? Do you think that that would be a wise idea? Um, I guess it's quite, you know, a very controversial um, topic. Um, Personally, uh, I think students will feel like they're being imprisoned or, you know, I don't think that it, it will go down with students personally. Um, but you know, if if the stu- if a member of staff did suspect um, a student, then that you know, obviously that would be different. You know, if they had a report that you know they were carrying. Um, but to have it as like a routine thing, I don't think any student kind of wants to go into a school to feel like um, they're being policed. Um, I think they already feel a bit, you know a little bit of unease with. Uh, police in general anyway um so to have that i don't think personally it would go down well no and if we ask our guests in the studio so you know a bit more about the law do you is our teachers able to just stop and search a student if they have any suspicion that this student may be carrying a knife or an offensive weapon well the police certainly can go into a school if there are suspicions and i suspect a teacher um who is 
um, concerned about a particular pupil may well contact the police. Um, and there are, in fact, criminal offences of having items such as knives and offensive weapons on school premises. But I think going back to the point that Halima makes, and I agree with her on this, a school is not there to treat its students uh, as criminals. It's there to nurture and to care and support and encourage. And I think once a teacher um, starts to search all of its pupils, it is just going to take all of that nurturing feeling away and it's going to make them feel that they're not cared for. Uh, of course, if the teacher has strong grounds and, and an emergency situation arises, they, they may well have to um, take that student away and put them in a room and call the police and do whatever they need to protect them and everybody else. But I think it would be very sad if schools routinely started to search their pupils. I think if we ever get to that situation, it would be a very sad day indeed. Yeah. Can I just say I've seen um, programs about some schools in London, not all of them, that are starting to try and get a, either a community liaison officer or a police community support officer, whatever term it is, to actually be resident in the school. So then there is a, perhaps a little bit more of a bond of trust that builds up with the pupils. Mm. And if they have concerns about being recruited into gangs or having pressure put on them to be carrying knives, that is thought to be a way forward. Uh, the, the, obviously, they're not teachers and they are still police officers, but it's to break down the suspicion of the police within the community. And maybe that's something mm. that ought to be looked at as well. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Mm. Um, okay, Halima, in terms of your 22 Seconds to Murder yep. project, um, so you were going around asking people on social media if you had 22 seconds left to live, what would you do? Mm. So I'm going to ask that question to you now, Halima. If you, if you had 22 <laughs> seconds Gosh. left to live, what would, what would you do? Um, I think the only thing that I could really do is pray. Mm. Um, you know, pray for forgiveness. Um, pray that I have a good afterlife as well and if my family were with me just say goodbye I guess um, yeah. yeah Okay thank you so much for uh, mm. calling in to our show and for sharing your project with us um, just quickly before you before you go I want to mm -hmm. um, just say your social media handles again so it's at contact halima right that's spelled h-a-l-e-e-m-a and if yeah. you do want to get involved in this project it will be on the 18th of february from 12 till 6 p.m at luton sixth form college the event is free yeah. so everybody do try to attend i think it would be a really good event mm. thank you so much thank you halima. thank you so much for having me thank you thank you bye, bye. wow that's very impressive what she's doing. That is actually very impressive. Hopefully we'll set an example for others to do that. It's nice as well that students are getting involved and being creative as mm. well when talking about things like this is, I mean, a very serious topic, mm. but showing it through means of art and um, music is, is a good way, I think, to get other people just discussing it. Yes, I think that's very sensible. Like, like Halima has said, the community has a responsibility and I think schools um youth clubs however however the fact that they're they're being reduced aren't they the youth clubs but all those sort of um support networks really have a role to play in reaching out to these youngsters mm -hmm. I, I think a more holistic approach a, a more rounded approach is is ultimately the way that it has to go 
I think the last thing that teenagers, as we all know, want to do is to be dictated to by adults. Mm -hmm. And I think to give teenagers the opportunity in whatever forum, uh, whether it's in very small groups, whether it's one-to-one, I'm sure some of them have got brilliant ideas that we haven't even thought of because we're old and they're not, and they're the ones that are living it day on day. Mm. And I think the more we can include them and then perhaps get government to listen to them, uh, that may be the way forwards. Mm. So uh, just going off on that point, actually, the government (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and reforms and things, um, the mayor has announced that uh, offenders in London will be tagged with tracking devices upon their release from prison in an attempt to reduce violence in the capital. So uh, it will be used on, I think, up to 100 offenders that are believed to maybe reoffend once they come out of prison. What are your opinions on that? Do you think that this is a good idea or do you think that this is not so much of a good idea? Well, I... Uh- Can I first of all talk about what currently exists? I think this is an intended proposal. Um, I think it will. It's beginning on the 18th of February, I believe. Mm. So we don't know yet how successful it's going to be because with tagging, uh, it's how it's monitored, how it's followed up if it's breached and what the sanctions are for the breach. At the moment, there are uh, the replacement for ASBOs, the antisocial behaviour orders, the criminal behaviour orders, which judges have been imposing initially to do with drugs offences, but I suspect are going to be coming more uh, Mm. to be imposed in people to do with knife crime. And that is where restrictions are placed on the offender after any prison sentence that they've done. And if you breach that, there is a maximum sentence of five years imprisonment. So at the moment, there is currently legislation that can deal with it, but then that's dependent on people i.e. enforcement officers, whether they're civilian or police, noticing that the order has been breached. So it's all about, it's not just announcing the proposal, Mm. it's how it's going to be monitored and followed up. Yes, I think the new tags that the the Mayor of London is proposing will monitor the whereabouts of, as you say, 100 known offenders. So it will tell the enforcement agencies, the police, the location of those offenders people but it in my view i don't think it's going to solve the problem and i think it may cause more alienation of those people having served a prison sentence and upon being released to be monitored in that way mm-hmm. um it's not going to um show the police what they have in their hands no. or what they have in their backpacks it's going to show the police where they are located um and i think m- resources uh, would be better spent on getting the police back out there on the streets because I think the cuts in police stations uh, and the reduction in the Met Police in terms of officers out there on the street uh, cannot be a good thing. No. Um, Perhaps we can discuss that. That'll be a whole session altogether, (laughs) I suspect, government funding. Yeah. I think where where parents, some parents, not, not all of them, but where they track their children on their telephone it's going to be similar to that you might know where your child is physically Mm. via the gps you've no idea what they're doing what they're doing no and they could be doing something completely innocent Mm. but they could be adjacent to an incident that occurs nothing to do with them Mm. Uh, and would they then become suspects I, i think that would be very unfair and unjust i agree um okay so i 
believe we have a few minutes left and just before the show comes to an end i just wanted to say thank you again so much for joining me tonight on ask your lawyer and um also if you are just tuning in we had we have here with me now in the studio michelle clark who's a barrister and we also have maria caroiscos who is also a barrister and these barristers are from church court chambers so please if you ever need to instruct a barrister get your solicitors to instruct these two fabulous ladies and <laughs> uh, we also had halima ali who is a community activist she called in on the show uh, i believe you can watch this show live on facebook so maybe you can catch up there if you've missed any of it and you could also find it on inspire fm's website etc so yeah thank you so much to all our listeners thank you so much to my panel that have joined me today it's been a really good show i've learned a lot i hope everybody else listening has learned a lot um thank you so much for having us yes we've enjoyed it thank you yes yeah. thank you very much um yeah so i've been Tariq Fell. i was your host this evening i hope you all have a good evening and join us next time thank you for listening to our podcast we stream our daily broadcast on inspirefm.org. You'll find all our daily updates on our social media at InspireFM Luton.